How you guys doing? Oh my. It is very excited. But I want to know if the rest of you are alive. How you guys doing? You are alive. I'm very proud. Uh, so how many of you guys this week saw the new Star Wars trailer? Any of you out there? Oh, yeah, there's a couple of you. The level of excitement is not as high through the roof as I thought it would be. I am excited for the new Star Wars because I love Star Wars. Um, especially when I was younger, I really, really was into Star Wars. And my favorite Star Wars movie of all time was a little one called The Empire Strikes Back. It is the greatest Star Wars movie that's ever been made. I don't think it'll be topped. I think it's just a masterpiece. But there's also in that movie one of my favorite scenes. And it's a scene between Luke and Yoda, two people you might know. Yoda's like this old little green dude, Jedi Master guy, and Luke is this young, spunky guy who wants to learn how to use the Force. And Luke wants to actually fight Darth Vader. And so he, he has sought out Yoda. He's gone to go and find Yoda so that he can learn how he can fight Darth Vader better and how he can better use the Force. And that is where we find this scene that I'm about to show you is, is Luke wants to learn the Force, and he's, kinda, he's kind of experienced the Force a bit, but he doesn't really get it. And so then Yoda tries to bring more out of him, and this happens. There we go. Hear you nothing that I say. Master, moving stones around is one thing. This is totally different. No. No different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. All right, I'll give it a try. No. Try not. Do. Or do not. There is no try.
yeah, that's right. Uh, Yoda can move uh, massive spacecraft that are in the water. Uh, so what happens here is that Luke, Luke realizes that he's experienced the Force a bit, but not to the degree that he needs to. And Yoda tries to tell him, he tries to convince him that actually what you need to have a more fruitful impact with, with this thing called the Force in order to actually do anything with it is you need to actually have a stronger connection to it and realize that it's there and, and, and start to develop that connection with the Force. And Luke just kind of, he looks at what he has to do and instead of focusing on the connection between him and the Force, he just gets overwhelmed and he quits and he, and he, he leaves. But then Yoda shows him that, that if he were actually to have this connection with the Force, that he would be able to do what seems impossible to him. And I think in the same way, we're a lot like Luke, where we, we know about God and we've heard these things, and maybe we've experienced him a bit. But we hear all the things that we're supposed to do, and it feels so overwhelming. And it's like, I can't do this. I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. It's easy to be like Luke and just be like, you know what, that's it, I'm out. Like, I'm done, I can't do this. You're asking for the impossible, God. I cannot do this. But then Yoda actually shows us, and, and I think Jesus even shows us, and, and other people in our lives, that it is possible to have this connection with God where we're able to, to have this fruitful connection, where, where we're actually doing the things that God wants us to do. And so tonight, I want to talk about that. We have been in our I Am series, where we have been going over the I Am statements of Jesus, uh, found in the book of John, which is written by a guy named John, who is very good at his title. And it's in the New Testament. It's a biography about Jesus' life. And in there, Jesus has these statements about who he is. And so this is the last statement we have about who Jesus said he was in, in that book. And, and it's that he is the, the true vine, which is a weird idea. But what I want you to grasp tonight is this. It's that a fruitful connection with Jesus leads to a fruitful relationship with others. And so with that, let's dive in to John uh, chapter 15. It says this. It says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus talking. And my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch and he kind of like takes care of it and, and removes it and, and watches it. He prunes uh, the branch and produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean of the world because I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they're all burned. And if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And so Jesus tells this story to his disciples. He tells this analogy, this kind of uh, imagery that he is a vine. And what that means is that he is like this plant that is growing where all this life is coming out of. And what he says that we are, are we are the branches. And a branch's job is to actually produce fruit. And so Jesus tells this story where, where like God the Father comes in and he sees all this fruit that's growing. He sees these branches and he kind of looks at, at the fruit and, and he harvests it. But then also with the branches that aren't producing, he goes, okay, this one's dead. It's coming off the vine. And he kind of like looks after it and that's the image Jesus gives us. And so if, if we want to think about that more literally of what Jesus is saying, he's saying that 
in him, much like with Luke, the force was everything and he needed to connect to the force to actually be able to do these things. Jesus says that it's in him that we're actually able to produce fruit. But you might be wondering, what fruit? I'm not like growing apples or something. What are we talking about here? What is this fruit? I'm very confused. And a different book in the Bible called Galatians, which is a letter to a church in a city called Galatia, just a place way back then, actually explains to us what this fruit is. And it says this. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is this. It's love, it's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so these are actually the things that, that Jesus says that if we are connected with him, if we have tapped into him and have this relationship, these will start to come out of our lives. But he also says that, that if these are not coming out of our lives, we need to start to take a look because it might mean that we're not actually connected to him. And, and, and so with that, it, it, it's kind of like this. So when I was in grade nine, I got braces. How many of you have braces? I don't think any of you have had braces, as in you've moved on. I know, where's Jeremy at? My, my brother, I know. Yeah, me and you. Okay, braces, grade nine, me. Uh, I, I had braces, I hated them so much. They were the worst. If I had one recommendation to you, it would be tell your parents, I don't want braces. Eventually, I'm gonna have to get dentures. We might as well just pull out all the teeth right now and go with the dentures. But that is just my opinion. Uh, I hate braces. And so when I got braces, I, I didn't want to do anything to do them because the pain of just having metal strapped to my face was enough for me. I didn't want to do anything else. But you're supposed to do more because apparently, like, the metal just makes your teeth straight, but they put, like, rubber bands in your – well, actually, they put hooks in your mouth that you're supposed to attach rubber bands to that will shift your bite. So let's say that if you're going to bite bad – that will eventually damage your jaw. Like, let's say your bite's like this. They want to change your jaw so that it's like this, which, like, makes sense. But that sounds like a lot of work. So I decided I was not going to do this, even though my parents were paying thousands of dollars for this. I do not know why I decided not to. I was like, these bands are for idiots. I don't need this. The, the orthodontist who looks after my teeth will not even notice that I am not wearing these. So it worked for a bit. I decided, you know what? I've got these bands. I'll just leave them there. It'll all be good. I go to my appointments, or the nurse will be like, hey, everything looks good. And I was like, see, you don't need no bands. Nobody knows what they're talking about. I know way more than this guy. Uh, and, and I kept going. But as the months went on, uh, my orthodontist started to act weird around me. He'd ask me, so are you wearing your bands? Which seemed like a weird question. And I'd be like, yes, definitely. You know me. I am a responsible young man. I would not, like, waste this money that my parents are spending. Who are you to accuse me? Um, but as time went on, he figured it out. And he kind of took me aside, and he was like, I know you're not wearing your elastics like you're supposed to be wearing. I said, what? How? How, how can you know such a thing, sir? How can you accuse me? And he said that over time, I would have seen a change in the way your jaw was, and the evidence would be clear that there should be some kind of fruit that would take place to where I would be able to see this change. And so I obviously was like, yeah, you're right. I will start wearing the bands. Never did. Don't tell my parents that. <laughs> but the whole point of that story is that when God looks at us and when we look at ourselves in our lives, it's kind of like the rubber bands and the orthodontist, where these actually, the longer we are a Christian, should become a part of our lives, where you should be loving. Meaning that when your sibling does something that makes you angry, instead of just like going and punching them in the face, you like, hold up. You're like, man, I should be loving because that's what Jesus wants, as hard as that is. 
or it means that, 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 that you should have joy. And it doesn't mean that you're just always happy and like, oh, man, I'm so good. I'm just smiles all the time. That's not what joy means. Joy means that there's like a peace and a calm and a, a satisfaction in Jesus that leaves you satisfied. And so is there that in your life? Do you feel that kind of joy that, that, that can't be moved by the mood you're in or what's going on? Or is there peace? When you see conflict, are you someone who gets involved and fights and steps up and gets angry? Or are you someone who tries to make peace and make amends and actually, like, mend those relationships? When your friends are fighting, do you just jump in and, and try to get in the fight as well and pick sides? Or do you try to make peace between them? But then with that also, are you patient? And this is hard. When you st- I'll tell you what. You want to know if you're patient? When you stand in a long line... How are you feeling? <laughs> because that will judge how patient you are because you will not be feeling, if you're like me, you will not be feeling good. <laughs> you will be frustrated and you just want to get through the line and you just want it now and you don't know why all these people are taking so long and why this lady is taking so long. You just want to move forward to where you want to go. So are you patient? But then also with that, are you kind? And this is a weird one. It seems like redundant, but Jesus actually calls us to be kind. And, and how you treat people, how you interact with them at school or in your sports, are you actually treating them with kindness? Or do you kind of treat them coldly? And then with that also, goodness. Are you doing good things? And goodness is kind of judged by, by God. And so the easiest way to look at, okay, am I pursuing goodness? Am I wanting to be good? Is to look at, in my life, am I trying to do what God wants? Because that shows that there's like a goodness in me, that I want to help those who need help, and, and that I want to follow what he wants me to do. Is there this goodness within me that I'm trying to pursue? But then in that, is there faithfulness? Can people trust you? When you tell someone, so like, for example, when my parents would leave home, they'd be like, Aiden, we want you to take out the garbage. I'd be like, I'm on it. I got it. See you guys later. Good job. They would leave. And then they would come back, and they would find that the garbage was not taken out. And it seemed like there was a, a faithfulness issue in the sense that nobody could trust what I was saying. And when I said I would do something, I didn't do it. And even with that, I wasn't really loyal to my friends, and I said I'd be there, but I wasn't there when they needed me. And even with Jesus, I would say that I'm faithful to Jesus, but my life would show that I wasn't. And so in all those ways, does your life look faithful? But then also, are you gentle? And this is hard for me. I'm a blunt person. I like to just like say what I'm thinking. But people have feelings. And so when you say something to someone, are you being kind and gentle and considerate about what they're feeling? Or do you just kind of say it? Or when you're in a sport and someone, and someone does something that they shouldn't do, like cross-check you in the back, do you turn around and just like lose it on them? Or do you show them gentleness, which is very hard? But then lastly and this one is hard, self-control. Do you have control over yourself? Or do you find yourself endlessly trapped in a cycle of Netflix and video games and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok where you just, you just don't feel like you can actually stop? Do you actually find that you lack self-control? And I want to, I want to challenge you with these things because Jesus says that actually these fruits, if we're not seeing them in our lives it might mean that we're starting to die off and it might mean that we might lead to actually being cut off from the vine, which is Jesus. And that's not to scare you because I'm not trying to give you a list of things to do. It's actually to, to really analyze and go, man, am I doing the things that Jesus says should be happening? Does, does my life show that I'm actually connected to Jesus and, and in touch with him? And so I want to ask you this tonight. 
does your fruit, does the things you do actually show that you're connected to Jesus? Does the way you live your life, does the things that happen, does it show that you're connected? But the thing is, you might sit here and be like, this sounds so hard. How am I supposed to do all of these things? It seems impossible. I would have to be Jesus myself. It seems impossible. And like Luke, you can just look at this list and be like, I'm out. This is too much. I cannot do this. What you're asking Jesus is impossible. But Jesus answers this with with something else. He says this. He says, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. And if you do what I command, uh, I, I do not call you servants anymore. Because a servant doesn't know what a master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from the Father. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you. I, I set you up to go and produce fruit so that your fruit should remain. And so whatever you ask in my Father's name, he will give you. This is my command. Love one another. And so Jesus, again, introduces this thing that seems really hard. And he says that we're actually supposed to love each other the way that Jesus loves us. And we're supposed to love each other in a way that, that we would die for each other, which seems crazy. Like, I don't, I don't know. I like you guys. But sometimes, like, it's like, you know, if there was, like... It's like, should I die a horrible death? I don't know. Like, that seems hard. Like, let me think a bit about that before I confirm. And even with other people in my life, it's like, I don't know. That's hard. And maybe there are even people who I don't like who it's like, you know what? If it's me or you, I think I'm going to let you go on this one. You know, it's okay. I'll let, you, I'll let you take the bullet. It's all good. No hard feelings. I'm just not willing to die for you. It seems like Jesus introduces this thing that's even harder than the first thing. And it's like, how are we supposed to do this? But I find what Jesus says in the middle really interesting because he actually says that we're not servants, that we're friends, which changes this whole dynamic. Because a servant is someone that you pick and you're like, okay, I've chosen you. Now go and produce and do what I have told you to do. Go and do it. And then if you get there and they haven't done it, you're like, you're fired, you're done because you're a servant. You didn't do your job. You're out of here. Get out. But Jesus actually doesn't call us that. He says that if we have put our faith in him, we're no longer servants, we're friends. And the difference between a friendship and a servant-master relationship is that a friend's actually willing to come alongside you and help you and push you into the direction you need to actually be going. And so for me, when I went, when I graduated high school, I went to Briarcrest, which is a Bible college, to go and learn the Bible. And as I went, I was all in on the Jesus stuff, but I still had this issue in my life where I was someone who really cared about girls still. And so as I went to Briarcrest, I still had this in me where I was like trying to pursue girls and figure out who I could date. And it eventually led to a point where one night I was out past curfew. So at Briarcrest, there's like, you're supposed to be back in your dorm at a certain time, which is 1 a.m. And I was not back at 1 a.m. And the reason I wasn't back at 1 a.m. is because I snuck out to go and hang out with a girl. So I was out hanging out with a girl, not doing what I should have been, and I figured, you know what, I'm a sneaky guy. I'll just kind of like slither in. No one will know that I'm back or that I'm gone. I'll just kind of sneak out. 
And so after time passed, I came back, and I, I came into the dorm. I went to go to my room, and I grabbed the handle, ready to open the door, and all of a sudden it was just like, like it was locked. I was like, ooh, this is bad. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm a smart guy. I can figure this out. The only person with the key is my RA, and an RA is someone who is, like, appointed by the dorm to look after the dorm and make sure they're doing what Jesus wants and all those good things. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to figure out how to do this. I'm going to trick him into not realizing what's going on. So my door was locked. I know he's the only one with the key. He's the one who's supposed to push me to actually follow Jesus. I was like, well, I'll trick him. So I went to my RA's room very confident. I was going to tell him that I locked my door. I went to the bathroom, and then I came back, and I was like, oh, shoot, locked the door by accident. Can you let me in, please? So that was my plan. And so I went to him. But as I walked in the door, I saw a sight that was terrifying. I saw the two guys who lived in the same room with me sitting with the RA. And I was like, ooh, well, that story's not going to work. These guys should be asleep. And so, because they live with me in the same room. And so I kind of like walk in. And there's my two best friends in my RA who is also my friend. And I kind of just like, hey, guys, just hanging out. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you, I just want to, like, get the key to the door because I locked myself out going to the bathroom, and they just kind of looked at me. They're like, Aiden, this is an intervention. We got to talk about the stuff that you don't want to talk about because you're doing stuff that's dumb, and we need to correct you, so have a seat. And we had a long conversation, and I learned a lot of things, and, and, and ultimately, they were right. Because a friend is actually someone who's willing to come alongside you, and when you're off doing what you're not supposed to be doing, they will lock your door and force you to see the authorities so that you will have to be dealt with in the proper way. Because a friend actually cares enough about you to push you to follow Jesus. A friend actually cares enough about you to come alongside you and help you. So that when you stumble, they don't get angry and just lose it and leave you alone. Instead, they come alongside you and they give you some tough love and actually bring you in a little closer so that you can follow Jesus better. And so when Jesus actually calls us his friend, what it means is he's like that. Where you see this list of fruit and you see that Jesus calls us to love one another in a way that we'll die for each other, even people we don't like. It's like, that sounds insane. I don't know how I'm supposed to do that. But much like how Luke had to tap into the force to actually move what seemed impossible, in the same way, us having this connection, this friendship with Jesus, the more that we foster it, the more that we pray and read our Bibles and come to youth and and talk to each other about what Jesus is doing in our lives, the more the impossible becomes possible. And we start to change and actually produce these things that seem like there's no way we can ever do it. At the same time, we'll love people who we don't even like and die for them because we realize that, that our friend Jesus did the same for us. That when we didn't even love him, he still died for us. It didn't stop him from being our friend. And so with that, I want to ask you this. Are you leaning on Jesus to love others? Are you leaning on Jesus to do these things? Do you spend time with Jesus trying to foster this? Do you spend time reading the Bible? There's a reason why we've been giving the Bible away for free. It's not because I just really want to buy some books and just give them away for no reason. It's because I want you to have the ability to like sit down and read what God has said. In the same way, too, are you praying? Are you talking to God? Because he wants to hear from you. And even if you're like, I don't know what to say, that's cool. God isn't sitting there, like, with a report card making sure, okay, did he say this? He better say this, or uh, I'm cutting him off the branch. God actually 
wants you to pray, and if it's messy, and, and if you're honest, and you feel like, am I allowed to say this to God? God actually wants that, because he's a friend. He's not just a master. He's someone who loves you and died for you. And the reason why this is important is because a fruitful connection with Jesus actually leads to a fruitful relationship with others. And so lastly, before you go to small groups, I want to ask you, are you willing to accept the fruit that Jesus wants to produce in you? Are you actually willing to to be loving, to have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? And are you willing to actually love your neighbor as yourself and love them the way Jesus has loved you? Or do you not want that at all? And you're kind of like Luke, and you're like, that seems impossible. No, I'm out. I'm done. Because I can assure you, That if that's the way you want to go, if you don't want to have fruitful relationships, if you don't want to produce fruit, then you'll be cut off eventually. And not because God's mean, but because you've chosen that I don't want this. I don't want to be part of you anymore. I want to do my own thing. Because here's the thing. A fruitful connection with Jesus leads to a fruitful relationship with others. So with that, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to break off into small groups. Uh, Dear God, we thank you that you are a God who loves us, that you are a God who, who doesn't just use us as slaves, but instead sees us as friends, who comes alongside us and helps us and encourages us and gives us the ability to do what it is that you know we need to do. God, I pray that you would help us to have these fruits in our lives, that we'd be able to see it. And God, for the ones that we struggle with, I pray that it wouldn't freak us out, but instead it would encourage us to press into you more to realize that we can't try harder to do this, that there is no amount of effort we can give that will actually create this, that the only way we can actually do what you're asking is by connecting to you and fostering that relationship with you and having a fruitful friendship with you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us to do the impossible, help us to overcome the things that that we know we can't do by realizing that you can. God, I thank you for tonight and all that you're doing and how wonderful you are in Jesus' name. Amen.